Good afternoon, everybody. I'm so glad to be here with you guys. Um, when Amanda asked me to uh, talk to you guys about pregnancy, I, I could probably, <laughs> that's such a huge topic, so I could probably do eight hours on pregnancy. Um, uh, and I kept on thinking about different patients I want to tell you about, because that's what she really wanted you to hear about, is, is the real stories. Not like necessarily how to do stuff, but really the, the stories. So I want to share with you some amazing stories. Uh, and then I want to kind of veer off into something a little different, if you don't mind, because it's, uh, I love talking about what excites me. Uh, and even though pregnancy is totally cool and really awesome, but I have another topic that's like making me totally nuts excited. So I'm going to share with you about that. So the first um, story about pregnancy that I want to tell you about, and this is all about in believing in yourself. And Shane, I think it's an amazing idea to become a doula. Uh, women. Now, uh, me, I can't do that. Right? This is not a man thing. But I have a lot of uh, colleagues of mine who are female chiropractors who have built their practices by being doulas. So I think it's a great, great, great idea. And I applaud you for doing that. It's very smart. Um, so, but it, the reason that you even have a doula in your life when you're pregnant and about to have a baby and during the whole birth process is because you need the support. <clears throat> and one of the things that I see out there in the real world is that there isn't a lot of support. And there's a lot of people actually telling the pregnant moms that they can't do something, that they can't do something that's natural, that they can't do something that for 30,000 years and generation after generation we've had you know, successful births. And there's people out there telling them that. And I'm going to tell you a story of one such uh, person. So uh, this is a patient of mine. I've known her for about 10 years now. I knew her before, I even, before she was even dating her husband. <clears throat> she started coming in to see us. And then she started dating her husband, and then her and her husband got married, and then they had their first kid. Now she is tiny. She is like about this high, itty bitty little thing, maybe weighs 90 pounds soaking wet. And when she was pregnant, and she was about uh, 32 weeks or so, uh, she is, was going to her OB the whole time, and her OB sat her down and said, listen, I just wanna tell you, you're not gonna be able to have a, a, your baby naturally as much as I know you wanted to, but you're too small, and the baby's too big, and it's just not gonna work. And she's like, why? Well, it's called cephalopelvic insufficiency. You know, the baby's head's too big for your pelvis, so it won't work. So we need to plan a C-section, so I'm just letting you know. So she comes to my office the next day in tears, like crying. I can't believe this. I have to have a C-section. This is so horrible. And I'm like, why do you have to have a C-section? What's the problem? And she said, oh, this is cephalopelvic some big, there was a big word thing. I don't know what it was, but the doctor said that, that the baby's too big for my pelvis. And I said... And is there any other complication? No. Do you have any high blood pressure? No. Do you have any like premature contractions? No. Do you, is your blood sugar going out of control? No. I said, so the only thing that this guy is telling you is that you're too small and the baby's too big. Yes. I said, how many millions of babies are born every single year? All over the world. Millions. Right. And how many of them really need to have a C-section? Right. Really, really super duper, absolutely got to have a C-section. 7 to 10%. Not because they have cephalopelvic insufficiency, but because there's a complication. The baby's heart rate drops, the baby releases meconium, something's going wrong, the, the mom has a spiking a fever. Okay, I get that, right? Absolute necess necessity you know, to have a C-section. But just because, like you haven't even tried to have the baby and you're already, they're already telling you you need to have a C-section, I said, why don't you just try? I said, your body is designed to have a baby. And that's what the duel is there for you. Right? Your body's designed to have a baby, and you need to be psyched up and to be ready to have that baby. 
And I said, I believe in you. I believe in you. You should believe in you. Your body is designed to have a baby. It's meant to have a baby. That's why you're a woman. That's why you have a woman's pelvis versus a man, man pelvis. You are supposed to have a baby. Why don't you just tell the doctor that you want to try to have a baby naturally and you could always have a C-section if you need to. Guess how long, she went to labor a few weeks later, guess how long it took her to have the baby? One hour. One hour. Right? She is meant to have babies. So a few years later, she gets pregnant again. And she, around 36 weeks or 34 weeks, whatever it was, uh, she, goes, she goes to the same doctors in their insurance, goes to the same doctor, and guess what he says to her? You're not going to be able to have a baby naturally. Your know, baby's too big. And she's like, what are you talking about? I had a baby. Like, well, it's different now. Here's why it's different. Because you already have a baby, right? So because you've already had a baby, now you're working too hard, and you're holding the baby over here, and you're breastfeeding, and you're working also, you're working mom, so it makes it so you're really tired. So it's a very different scenario. So now you really need to have a C-section. So let's schedule that C-section. And she comes back to me crying. And she's like, he says I'm too weak to do this, and I'm, I, I have too much stress, and I can't do this. And what do, you, what do you think about this? And I'm like, wait, did you have the baby the first time? Yeah. I said, how long did it take you? An hour. I said, what's the problem? Just give a shot. You can always have a C-section, right? So I always tell you, you're not, you're not having a home birth, so it's a little different. You're, you're going to be in the hospital. You can always have a C-section. It's right there in the next room. Just push out. But why don't you just try it? So she went back to the doctor. She said, I want to try having, you know, and that she said, fine, do whatever you want. I just think it's a big mistake. Blah, blah, blah. Guess how long it took her to have this baby? 45 minutes. Third baby comes along a couple years later, right? And she's going to the same doctor. And guess what he says at 36 weeks? Now you got two kids, right? And you're still working and you're really tired. And she was, uh, granted, she was definitely tired with these two kids. Uh, but so you really, this, this time, really, you need to have the C-section. Guess what she says this time? She said, I'm two for two, right? Let me just try it myself, right? So the doctor said, all right, fine, do whatever you want. Guess how long it takes her to have this baby? 30 minutes, right? right? The next baby she has, she's going to have the baby without even going into labor, right? She's just going to have the baby, right? Some people are designed to have babies, right? But to automatically assume just because a woman is too small or too big or too this or too that and to say, you can't have a baby naturally, you need to have a C-section, I think that's criminal. I think it's criminal. In the United States, the C-section rate is what? 30%. In Atlanta, in some Atlanta hospitals, what's the C-section rate? 40%. There's one particular OB that's associated with one hospital here in Atlanta who has told my patients that I, he, this is what he says, I want, I'm, my goal is to have a 100% C-section rate. All right, that's great goal, everybody. Uh, I, this is what they want, right? And what, why do they want to have a 100% C-section rate? No, no, it, that's good, Mega, but it's, that's not it. What is it? Control. I want to have control. I can time it. I know exactly what's going to happen. I know pretty much the, the time span it's going to take. It's very easy. It's simple. Boom. But is a C-section easier or simple on a mom? No. No. Is it easier or simple on a baby? This is what they say all the time. Oh, it's much easier than the baby. You have to go through that birth canal, all that kind of pressure. Is it easier or simpler on a baby? No. Are there any ramifications to a baby being born by C-section? Any negatives? Absolutely. First off, they don't get the little head smushed. 
right? So their heads are very often misshapen because they don't have the, 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 their sutures molded the way they're supposed to. That's the first thing. Second thing is a lot of these kids don't have their lungs smushed. And why is that important? What happens later on if they don't get the lungs smushed and all that kind of stuff out? What happens? Asthma, right? So the, a C-section rate kid has a lot more asthma than a non-C-section kid. And I can go on and on and on. Even developmental disabilities like autism has been linked to more C-section rate. So to say that a C-section is easier and simpler for the mom and the baby is just an outright lie. Now, not to say that you can't have a C-section and have a healthy baby and have a healthy mom, and not to say that sometimes a crisis is a crisis, you know. We just had a woman in, in our practice who uh, had a very difficult uh, pregnancy, and she was, we were unable, like, we, we did everything we could with Webster technique, et cetera, and that baby was not budging, and we found out that the cord was wrapped around a kid's neck, right? So this is a great question. Is the baby going to hurt, move if the cord's around the, the neck? No. No, because the baby is smart, right? Why is the baby smart? What's the baby got? Brain. Innate intelligence. Well, brain, yeah. But, the brain's got, but it's got innate intelligence, right? The baby's got innate intelligence, so it's not going to put itself in jeopardy. So people say, well, Webster technique could be dangerous because uh, the baby can get hurt if it moves and it's not supposed to. And the answer to that is the baby will not move if it's not supposed to, right? Because the, the Webster te technique, which, how many people are in upper quarters here? Okay, so for those of you who don't know it, Webster technique is, is something that was uh, invented by Dr. Larry Webster, who we used to teach here. Uh, I'm actually teaching his class now, which is really kind of cool. Um, and what it's for, its purpose, is to give the pelvis more room to allow the sacrum to have the best possible alignment so that the baby can be in the most optimal position. And uh, that technique is totally amazing, but it's not 100%. Because there's going to be times where the cord's wrapped around the kid's neck. There's going to be times when the, baby, the cord's too short. There's going to be times when uh, uh, you've got twins and you can't get the twins to, to, to shift position. There's going to be times where it's not going to work as optimal as you want to. But the cool thing is that chiropractic, in my office, my C-section rate is guess what? 7%. It's not zero. Never be zero. Love it to be zero, but not, not possible. 7%. Right? So in the last couple of years, we've had twins born a couple of times through our practice, and these twins have been born vaginally. And that is unusual, because most OBs won't do that. Most OBs, once you have twins or bigger, you're having a C-section, guaranteed. But this one particular uh, doctor in Atlanta that both of these guys uh, went to said, if you can get both babies head down, then we can deliver, try to deliver you naturally. And that's what happened, right? That's chiropractic, right? Chiropractic is powerful. Chiropractic is like nothing that, you, that is anybody has ever seen before. And the biggest problem I find after 26 years of being in practice, and since I've been teaching here since 2001, so for this, all this combined amount of time, the reason that chiropractic is where it is is because we don't tell the people what we do. We don't tell the people what we do. And <clears throat> this is what's getting me super excited. So I'm going to veer off the, the, uh, the pregnancy topic, if you don't mind. And I want to talk about this. Autism, neuroplasticity, and concussions. This is the latest stuff that's been going through my head. So I put this together for you guys because I wanted to talk about it. We are neuroplasticians. 
we, matter of fact, I think are the ultimate neuroplasticians because we take kids who are autistic who don't talk and help them talk. And we take pregnant moms who, whose babies are in bad positions and help the moms have babies in better positions. And we take kids who are stuck on Ritalin and other kind of drugs and watch them get off of drugs without me mentioning a thing about the drugs. We watch these kids change because chiropractic enables the spine and the nerve system and the brain to work better. And that's what neuroplasticity is all about. The ability of the brain to form and reorganize synaptic connections, especially in response to learning or experience or following injury. So learning or experience, that's what we do, is we give the kid or the mom or the senior citizen or the athlete or whoever we're touching, we give them a new experience. We give them a new experience that their body hasn't had before and it teaches their body a new thing. So the child who's suffering with asthma doesn't need an inhaler anymore because now their body can experience oxygen the way it's supposed to instead of freaking out all the time. Right? We teach the body to do something different. And the coolest thing is we put nothing into the body and we take nothing away from the body. Right? Most of the neuroplasticians out there have to do something to the body. They have to give them some kind of drugs or do some sort of you know, invasive sort of thing. The way we work is we just teach the body to do what it's supposed to do. We repattern the body. When a person comes into your office, they are patterned, or your, the clinic here, or student clinic, if you're in student clinic, <clears throat> when they come in to see you, they are patterned the wrong way. Whether they are a newborn, or they're a two-year-old, or they're a 10-year-old, or they're a pregnant mom, or a senior citizen, they are patterned the wrong way. So for us to do what we have to do, we have to teach them a new pattern. And this is exactly what I tell our patients, because sometimes they'll say, three times a week or two times a week, I have to come in so often, right? It's because your body is patterned. And the key, when you talk about neurology, and I really recommend that all you guys start delving into neurology, because we are, I am not a back doctor, I am a nerve system doctor. And the key in neurology, the three keys that you have to do to change neurology. What are those three keys? Anybody know? Repetition's good. Frequency, intensity, duration. Frequency, intensity, duration. That's how we change neurology. Frequency, intensity, duration. But what's the most important of those? Frequency. Frequency. So when someone says, why don't I come in two or three times a week for how long? Why do I have to do that? Because we have to enable the frequency, right? We got to do the adjustment over and over and over and over and over again. Because if we don't do it over and over and over and over and over again, then we don't give the body a chance to do the miraculous thing that it's meant to do in the first place. We don't get a chance to enable the neuroplasticity to work the way we want to, right? And that's what we're doing in our offices. <clears throat> Even when it's as simple as back pain, right? Which is, I am not interested in back pain whatsoever. But even as simple as back pain, when you're adjusting somewhere with back pain or neck pain or whiplash or headaches or one of the old musculoskeletal you know, kind of things, you're changing their neurology, right? Now you may be changing it on a much more simple level and they might feel better in a few visits, but is it really about how they're feeling? 
Like, is that the key thing? Am I judging my patients on how they're feeling? I don't even ask my patients how they're feeling. You need to do that here in clinic, right, as part of the CCE rules. I do not ask my patients how are you feeling. I don't want to know how they're feeling. That's not my goal. My goal is how they're healing, not how they're feeling. Like, I want them to feel better. I would like them to feel better. They probably will feel better. But that's not my point, right? Because neuroplastically, my goal is to get their body working better. That's really what I want. I want to see their body working better. Working as, good, as close to perfection as we can get them. Right? So that's why, when, like, here's an example, perfect example. We had two kids come on the same day about two months ago. One was a little boy and one was a little girl. They're both about the same age. Both of them suffering from horrible ear infections. Right? One kid, the mom came and the dad came regularly and they came specifically and I told them to get rid of certain things in their diet and they did and I told them to do certain exercises with the child, neurological exercises with the child and they did and they followed all the things and now the girl's got no ear infections and her ears looking clear, it's, it's amazing. Right? The other, a little boy, they came in kind of when they felt like it, they didn't do the exercises, they didn't change the diet whatsoever <clears throat> and yesterday we have a conversation, she's like, this isn't working. I'm like, to myself saying, of course it's not working. If you don't do the things that we ask you to do, how do you expect it to work? Right? It's, it's as simple as that, right? If, if you're supposed to, if you say, I want to lose weight, and the way I'm going to lose weight is I'm going to work out five days a week, and I'm going to eat, you know, 1,500 calories and no more, and I'm not going to have any sweets and any, you know, sweetened beverages, and then you work out once a week, and you eat, you know, ice cream and candy bars and Cokes, and it's six weeks later, you're like, I haven't lost any weight. I can't believe this. <laughs> well, what would you expect, right? If you don't do the things, they don't do the steps, then don't expect the results, right? Because you didn't allow the neuroplasticity to really take hold, right? Because the neuroplasticity it requires certain things, there's certain interventions, right? And one of the most important interventions we could do is an adjustment, but sometimes that's not enough, especially for the little ones. That is sometimes not enough. We have to change the neurology, and we can't just do it with an adjustment. We have to do something at home to make sure that they are changing their neurology so when they come back to the office, that each time they're here, their neurology has been strengthened at home too, right? So that's why we give all our kids exercises to do, because we have to get their little nerve systems working better. Because if we don't get the little nerve systems working better, then we can't get them to become the little kid we want them to become. Because the, how long does an adjustment take? Right, five minutes, 10 minutes, maybe, if that. Right, so adjustments is this little thing. But so if you're not doing something to help in between the, like, so you get, I don't know how many minutes there are in a week. How many, how many, no, sorry, offhand? Like probably several thousand minutes in a week. So if we have, let's say, 10 minutes worth of an adjustment, let's just say an example, I don't know what the number is, and we have 2,000 minutes in a week, right? So 10 minutes and 2,000, what are they doing the rest of the time? And how they're feeding their body. What's the amount? 10,080. See, also, oh, wasn't bad. 10,000. So you got 10 minutes in my office and, and 10,000 minutes outside of my office. In the 10,000 minutes outside of my office, they got a lot of work to do. And the more messed up the kid, the more work they got to do. Because we got to get frequency, right? Frequency, 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 frequency. It's the number one thing for neuroplasticity is to really engage the frequency. And here's another thing that's super important with <coughs> the nerve system. 
and you, you may or may not have heard this before, lower cores may not have. Nerves that fire together, what? Wire together. Nerves that fire together, wire together. Here's the problem with that, because this is the truth. Here's the problem. Nerves that fire together, wire together in either direction. Do you get what I mean? So, so if you start getting adjusted, and you start doing the functional neurology exercises, and you start changing your diet, the nerves start firing and wiring together differently, and become a, you become a new person, right? But if you don't do healthy things, and you keep on doing unhealthy things, so you're not getting adjusted, and you're not eating right, and you're not doing the right exercises, then they'll keep on firing and wiring the wrong way. So that's why autistic kids, as an example, we have an autistic boy in my office now who is 16 years old, and he's really gotten very little treatment of any kind uh, except for like occasional speech therapy in his, most of his life. So he's got very little speech. He can mimic. He can parrot. You say hi, he'll say hi, but he won't have original sentences. He has no joint attention, and that, that doesn't mean about joints like this. It's like if I say, hey, buddy, look at this, he won't look at this. That's joint attention. You know, I'm looking at it, so I say, hey, buddy, look at this. So he's got very, very limited abilities. And not to in any way, shape, or form talk about what's happened, but he, there wasn't enough good stuff put into him all along the way. And he's getting worse and worse and worse as time goes on. So I'm so thankful he's in the office now because now we can start making a shift. But I'll tell you, is it harder to make a shift when the kid's 16 than when the kid is six months old or six years old? Absolutely. Because the nerves have done what? They fire together and they wire together. So he's wired now, like super deeply wired to not talk. You understand how important that is? You understand why it's important for you to take care of kids? Why I'm so glad you guys are here? Because we've got to take care of kids. Who the hell is going to take care of kids if we don't? Is anybody else out there taking care of kids? I don't see anybody else taking care of kids the way we can take care of them. There's plenty of kids claiming they take care of the kids, right? There's plenty of you know, medical people, and there's plenty of osteopaths and all the gyms and karate instructors, all that. They take care of kids in certain ways, but nobody takes care of them the way we can take care of them. We chiropractic is one of a kind. And you are one of a kind. And I'm telling you, you can build a pediatric practice. Don't let anybody in this school or practice management or anybody else saying you can't build a pediatric practice. It's not possible. Because I get that all the time. All the time. I travel, I'm in the ICPA, I was just in Vancouver, one of the Vancouver attendees said, I don't understand how it's possible you can build a pediatric practice. I've been doing this for 10 years, and I can hardly, I can hardly even get the, like one kid in, let alone having a whole practice filled with kids and pregnant women. I said, you just gotta put your mindset on it. Right, there's, there's millions and millions and millions of kids out there, and millions and millions and millions of pregnant women out there that need our, what we do. Let someone else take care of the back pain, right? Let someone else do that kind of stuff. Who cares? It's so not interesting. It's so like rudimentary, right? Taking care of back pain is easy, right? Let, let the national grads do that, right? Let the LACC grads, they can do the back pain stuff. Fine, go right ahead, take care of them. Let us take care of the kids. Let me take care of the special needs kids. Let me take care of the pregnant moms. You know, bring me the most difficult cases. Bring me the things that you can't figure out. That's what I want. Bring it. You know, don't be afraid. Even when you're in clinic, don't just get, don't just get the hand-me-downs. Please, please go out there and get your own patients and, and ask. Here, you want to you get some kids in your, in, your, in your clinical practices? Ask the people that you're taking care of about their kids and grandkids. It's that simple. Just start the conversation. 
they're lying down and you're adjusting them and say, hey, you got grandkids, right? Yeah. How many you got? Ten. Great. Where do they live? Just be, you know, you're just being nice, right? Where do they live? Oh, I got one in Marietta and two in here, Austell, and one in Texas and two in New Orleans. And Great. I want you to give me a list of, of every place that they are and I'll find a chiropractor for them. And it just so happens the ones in Marietta, they should be coming here, you know, to see me in clinic, right, or wherever you're at. Right? How easy is that? Bring your kids. You know anybody who's pregnant? Yeah, my, my granddaughter is pregnant. Where does she live? She lives in Austell. Tell her to come here. You guys have to start practicing this. You guys have to start, because how are you going to get patients when you leave here? If all you get is hand-me-downs now, you, it, it doesn't happen out there in the real world. When in the real world, you've got to knock on doors and talk to people and ask them questions and say, bring in your kids and bring in your neighbor's kids and bring in everybody, right? So it's time to start now. And you say, oh, I'm, I'm too embarrassed or I don't, I don't want to, you know, I feel like weird. No, weird? You're giving these guys a gift. A chiropractic is a gift. And say, so, well, it costs too much. No, it well, first off, in the clinic, it really doesn't cost much at all. But even no matter where you are, whether you're in clinic or in my office or downtown Atlanta or, down, or New York, wherever you're at, it, in my opinion, chiropractic costs nothing. Chiropractic is an investment, right? You want health? This is it. You've got to have chiropractic if part of your health care plan. That's like, there's no other way around it. So where did all this come from? Autism, neuroplasticity, and concussions. So I started reading these books. I'm going to recommend everybody reads this book. This should be your next reading assignment in between reading all the other things that you're reading <coughs> here, like Yoakum and that kind of stuff. Read this book, The Brain That Changes Itself, by Norman Dodge. And this is his sequel. But this, this book has had profound influence on me in the last year or so. Because I always knew that what we did was about neuroplasticity. But this really sunk it in. And a couple of weeks ago, I had a new patient come in in the morning who was an autistic boy. And then later on that day, a kid came in with a concussion. Yeah! yeah! <laughs> and it looked the same. So they had the same kind of issues with mental reflexes and the same kind of problems with motor issues and the same kind of speech issues. And because high-functioning autism, not low-functioning, high-functioning autism and concussions, they look the same. And I'm reading these books here. And here's another couple of books. Oh, I can't see that very well. Um, this, this one is called The Woman Who Changed Her Brain. And this one is The Ghost in My Brain. It's about, it's a medical doctor and how he had a concussion and through signs of brain plasticity, help them get it back. <clears throat> so, and I read a lot of books. I read like 10 books a month. I'm just like a voracious reader. So I'm reading, these are like the last four books I've read. <clears throat> and all of a sudden, I'm looking at this saying, concussion and high-function autism look the same. They don't, so does that mean that autism is a brain injury? Yeah, that's what I thought. Huh. So 
I said, you know, is that, I, don't, I never heard that before. Is autism, like, I know that, that there's issues with the brain, obviously, with autism, but is it a brain injury? Is there some sort of injury to the brain that creates a field that enables autism to develop? So I started doing some research. Pediatric traumatic brain injury and autism, elucidating shared mechanisms. So if you read through this, it talks about how these two things kind of look the same. Prominent symptoms for both disorders include GI problems, learning difficulties, seizures, and sensory processing disruption. It's like, huh, isn't that interesting? So lately, when I've been adjusting autistic kids and I've been adjusting concussed kids, I'm actually looking at them in the same exact way. Where I used to adjust a, con a kid who had a concussion, the, the same way I'd, I'd adjust any child, and then the special needs kids had their own special sort of adjustments. Now, I'm starting to adjust kids who've had concussions as if they were special needs kids, and I'm getting better results. So I started delving into this more. And here's another thing, it says early brain injury might be the root of autism. So the cerebellum here, the cere this is all skewed. The cerebellum, this research study uh, showed, from the journal Neuron, the cerebellum, if there's an injury in utero to the cerebellum, that might lead to, in, to issues that later on will look like autism. But those same issues, if they happen to someone playing soccer, can cause someone to look like they have high-functioning autism. It's quite interesting. So, but the, the reason I'm bringing this up to you is because of neuroplasticity. Right? Because whether a child had a brain injury in utero and later on became autistic, or whether the child had a brain injury because of getting hit in the head you know, with a hockey puck, right? and now all of a sudden there's all these dysfunctional issues, it doesn't make a difference. I'm going to take care of them the same basic way because I'm not a back doctor, I'm not a bone doctor, I'm a nerve system doctor. So if I see a damaged nerve system, I'm going to work on their nerve system and make their nerve system work better. Right? So I'm not going to look at them based upon, well, this is this size spine and this is this size spine, so I take care of this, like Webster. Webster used to always say, like, a child is not a little adult. And I will add to Webster's thing that a child isn't a little adult and a kid who's had a brain issue is different than a, just a regular old kid. They're not, it's, they're not the same either. So we really need to take care of these kids in a special way. <clears throat> That's why, <clears throat> like Amanda said before, Monica Berger's coming here. If you want to take care of special needs kids, you need to hear her. So that's in, was not this weekend, it's next weekend. Yeah, this weekend's Activator. And who's coming here? Dr. Dr. Rossi. Yeah, Dr. Rossi's awesome. <clears throat> um, one of the things I teach in ICPA is taking care of special needs kids. That's my specialty, is taking care of special needs kids. So my talk for the ICPA is here in December, uh, and I call it pediatric alphabet soup. Because we take care of kids who've got ADHD and ADD and ASD and SPD and LD and all these other, which is learning disorders and autistic spectrum disorder and sensory processing disorder, all these, kind of, all these alphabet kind of things. Where do we see all these alphabet soup kids? But the, what I want to tell you guys is right now, this is, the, you, this is like Olympic training grounds. I want you to get that. This is the Olympic training grounds. And you have a choice. Do you want to win a gold medal when you leave? 
or at least shoot for it, right? Do you want to win or shoot for that gold medal? Because if you want to be the person standing on the thing, you know, like this at the very end, and you got the, the gold medal on it, if that's the person that you want to be, then you best study your butts off while you're here. And I don't mean just getting good grades, which is important. And I, yeah. And I don't mean just passing OSCEs. And I don't mean just passing boards, right? You all have to do that. Don't do the things you have to do, right? Don't just do the things that have tos. Those are all expected, right? Those are all expectations. You got to do the more. The, you don't have to, but you should, right? You should do these things. If this, and if you're in this room here, you probably want to do those things, right? Because that's what, that's what we want to see. We, wanna, we in the ICPA, we want to see a group of people coming out of Life University who are like the crazy lunatics for kids, right? The ICPA, we've, we've, got a, we've got a bigger ICPA club than any other place in the world because of Amanda and Tony and the people like that. We have more pediatrics in Life University than any other chiropractic school in the world. Between the class you get with special pops with Dr. Kramer and my class pediatric diagnosis in 10 quarter and the three electives that we have, there's more pediatrics on this campus than any other place in the world. So this is pediatric mecca. People should come here from all over the place if they want to take care of kids because we're, we're the ones who's teaching it. But you guys have to go out there and have to go out there with this hunger to take care of them. Like, I don't spend my time reading just novels, although I will read science fiction here and there. But what I really love reading is this. I read this stuff like it's a novel. And I know you guys are bogged down with other kind of books that you need to take a look at and all that kind of stuff. I get that. But I'm telling you, start now, just carving out a little bit of time, just a little bit of maybe take away some of the Facebook time and put 10 or 15 minutes a day into reading books like this. Because this is what's going to get you somewhere later on. What happened to someone before with their dog or cat or whatever on Facebook probably won't make a difference five years from now. But you read a book like this and it changes the way you think about what you do, that will change your life. Right? So start positioning the time that you have now into what you're going to do next and start thinking about the little kids that you're going to come in because you're going to change some lives really, really shortly, if, you, if you're not in student clinic or outpatient clinic, you will get there really soon. And when you're in your own practices or you're associating or you're at peak office, like we have three or four peak students on at one time, if you are in our office, you are seeing unbelievable changes. You are putting your hands on kids, pregnant women, you are seeing things that look like miraculous. You are seeing things that look like magic. You are doing things that are totally incredible. Right? So <clears throat> one story, one quick story of the hundreds and hundreds of stories that I could throw at you today. <clears throat> I'm going to tell you a story about this little boy. He comes in a couple of months ago, and <clears throat> during the exam, he was screaming on, his, on the floor in the corner of our exam room because he's so 
highly agitated because he's, so, he's got very low functioning autism that he was just screaming and didn't want to get touched. He was like, no, 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 no. That was his main chief word was no. And you could say other words. He, he, was very, he didn't call it echolalia. So you could say, how are you? And he'd say, how are you? And that was the whole conversation. You could have this like echolalia conversation with him, but you really wasn't much of anything else. And I remember the first few adjustments were very challenging because he was not very cooperative. He didn't want to sit still, right? Sitting was just not one of his things. He just liked being in motion, being in motion, being in motion, running around, running around. <clears throat> and there was one particular adjustment. I remember it was like maybe his third or fourth adjustment that his grandma was bringing him in. And she, she was literally holding him like this. And he was saying, no, no, no. And I never will adjust someone who's like crying or screaming. But I was just trying to calm him down. And he was just unable to, to figure this out. So finally, she let him go. And he went on the ground, went into the corner uh, of my office, because we were adjusting him in a private room instead of out in the open adjusting area. And I'm doing this, this technique called BEST, bioenergetic synchronization technique. And I just did it for a couple of seconds. And we just, I'm just trying anything. And, I'm, and she's all getting frustrated, and I'm all getting frustrated, but I, I know I'm going to hang in there, and I'm hoping that she's going to hang in there because I believe in neuroplasticity. I believe in the power that made the body can heal the body. I believe that it's just a matter of time. Right? We just have to give enough adjustments to make it work. <clears throat> that was a Wednesday, that particular adjustment. They came back on a Monday, and he walked back with his grandma into the back room, and he sat on her lap, and I did the same adjustment again, and he's not moving. And I'm like... A dog. That's pretty good. And now he's starting to say like a few more words. You know, here and there, a couple more words. Actually saying to me, not just saying random words, like some autistic kids will say random words. He was actually saying words to me. I was like, this is pretty cool. Because what was happening is it was clicking. You understand? Like it was clicking. The, the, the brain was shifting. Right? We had enough adjustments. And it doesn't have to be... We can make, you can make any adjustment you want. It could be a best adjustment. It could be constant adjustment. It could be Thompson. It could be SOT. It could be network. It could be activate. I don't care what adjustment you do. That's not important. The important thing is to change the pattern. Get in there and change the pattern. So the next time he comes in, <clears throat> he doesn't want to go into the back room, into the quiet room. He wants to get adjusted out in the, you know, in the main fray of things. I was like, okay, that's cool. We have a deer table, and he wants to get adjusted on a deer table. I'm like, Fine, sure. It was Webster's, one of Webster's deer tables. So I'm working best and a couple other things on him. It's, it's totally amazing. So a few adjustments after this, <clears throat> now maybe like, maybe like a month or and a half or so into adjustments. We have a lot of these um, words spelled out in our office. One says dream, one says hope, one says laugh, you know, one says love. And there's one, there's one thing that says dream kind of right next to the deer. So I'm adjusting like this, and he turns and he looks at that like, like this, he turns and looks at it, and he says, wait! I'm like, okay. And he jumps off the table, and he goes over to the letters, and he says, and this is four years old. And prior to this, the kid wasn't making anything intelligible at all. Right? He would just be echolalia, and he'd just parrot back to you. He said, D-R-E-A-M, spells dream. And we didn't even know, the parents didn't even know, that he even knew how to read, let alone that he could say something like that. And we're all like, <gasps> like, holy cow. And then I'm like, wow. So I get another one. I put hope down. And I spell that one. H-O-P-E spells hop. 
which makes sense, right? As a four-year-old, silent E, he doesn't get that just yet. You know, silent E is coming later, right? So he spells hop. I'm like, it spells hope, but that's great. <laughs> great, that's close enough, right? That's neuroplasticity in action. That is what you do. That is what you do, right? This is what's possible for all of us, for all of us. And to me, what's po the, the possibility is why isn't the whole world getting adjusted? I, do you get that? I don't get that, right? I don't get, it makes no sense to me whatsoever how it is that the whole world is not getting adjusted. It blows my mind. I think everybody should be getting adjusted and I walk in the supermarket and I walk in airports. I'm like, what? where are all these people? Why aren't they in our offices? And I'll tell you why, it's because we haven't told them. We, for the last 117 years, have sold them back pain and neck pain and whiplash and headaches and blah, 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 blah. But if that's what we told them, then is there any surprise that not many people really know about the true miracles of chiropractic? So the grandma <coughs> is now in the office, and every time she comes to the office, she says, to, she everybody, just want to let you know, this little boy didn't talk until he started adjusting him. Right? So now we're creating an evangelist, right? One person at a time. <laughs> right? We need chiropractic evangelists, one person at a time, one person at a time, right? And don't tell me, well, I'm just a student. I don't have that. Yes, you do. You can't have miracles in clinic right down over there or in student clinic over here. Why not? Why not? If you're just getting the hand-me-down patients, you probably won't get any miracles. But you've got to ask. Ask for what you want, right? And you know how you do that? You know how you ask for what you want and get what you want? You study it. Why do we see so many kids? Because I study it. I study it. I live it. I dream it. I talk about it. You know, someone asked me the other day, what makes you happy? I said, number one thing that makes me happy being my wife, Lisa. Number one. Number two is adjusting kids. And number three is talking about adjusting kids. I said, if I'm doing one of those three things, I'm happy. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. 